Hello, this is John Smallwood from Smallwood Wealth Management, located in Red Bank, New Jersey. Today, we are continuing on the 19 sources of retirement income and building multiple sources in your financial strategy so that you have different income streams taxed at different rates with different interest rate risks and different risk levels, et cetera. The key is having as many of these as you possibly can. Today, we're going to be talking about capital gain income, and that is number eight in the retirement income source guide. And it's something that I think is really interesting because capital gain rates are the lowest they've been in the history of taxation. That's something that I think people are really missing. And it's unique in how it's taken in each individual person. There's, and there are nuances, right? But in the 1986 tax law change, going way back, right? You had prior to that, you had a 50% ordinary income bracket. So your top marginal bracket, the last dollars tax at around 50%. I have a podcast on my Google channel that I did years ago on the brackets that shows it. But also at the same time, capital gain rates were also 50%. And then when the brackets dropped, you know, when Reagan took everything down to 28, well, it was 28 and 28. It wasn't until the early 90s where you had this dislocation between the capital gain rate and the ordinary income tax rate. I forget exactly who did it, but that's when you had a different rate on capital gains, I think it was Bush one, where you have a 35% tax bracket, but your capital gain rate was 28%. Now, let's talk about today, for example, capital gain rates, if you are married filing joint and your income is below 80,000, your capital gain rate is 0%. If your income is between 80 and 496, it's taxed at 15%. And if it's above 496, it's at 20%. So this capital gain rate is really low for a lot of people. Depending on other income sources, it could there could be some other, you know, there's new, there could be your state level tax, etc. Now, capital gain comes from selling an asset that I've held for a time frame. So there's short-term capital gains and there's long-term capital gains. The long-term capital gain rates are what I just talked about. So short-term capital gains held for a year or less are taxed at ordinary income. Long-term capital gains, anything held greater than 12 months is taxed as a capital gain rate. So you can see there's a huge benefit in holding period. Now, this capital gain rate applies to stocks, real estate, collectibles, you know, assets, capital gain. Now, there are nuances in this that are going to impact the taxation of it. But for example, if I bought a stock for $10 and I sold it for $100, I had a $90 capital gain and I held it for greater than 12 months, I'm going to pay 20% tax plus whatever my state level tax is. And if my income is, my other income sources are above, you know, married, filing, joint, if I'm above 
250,000, I'm going to have a net investment income tax of an additional 3.8% on that. So now, as I look at things, you know, this applies to boats, it applies to cars, it applies to real estate, it, it applies to businesses, and the businesses have even different tax benefits that we're going to talk about at a separate time frame. As far as the capital gain structure, the new tax law has some really unique things in it that we need to understand. But the, it, you know, there are nuances such as depreciation recapture. So that if I own real estate and I've been depreciating the asset down for a time frame, or let's say that I bought a property for a million dollars 20 years ago and I've depreciated it down to 200,000, that 800,000 of depreciation gets recaptured and I pay right now 28% tax on that recapture of that depreciation plus the state level plus that 3.8. Anything not depreciated above that, above that gain, you know, let's say the property is worth a million three, that additional 300,000 from appreciation, that would be capital gain. If I sell a, you know, collectibles, coins, precious metals, antiques are, those are taxed at 28%. But again, you know, you think about the 19 sources of retirement and you visualize your strategy and you're taking income from different sources, dividends, interest, life insurance, pensions, social security, the capital gain income can be very effective in your plan. And you, and if you think about you know, I want you to have the capital gain sources in your plan. But if you think about where we are right now, I'm going to try to post, I'm going to make a note trying to post the old thing I did on the history of the U.S. marginal tax brackets. It's a presentation that's a few years old. I'll see if we can repost it into the podcast area right after this one. But we're probably potentially at one of the lowest tax environments we've ever been in as a country. There's pressure out there that we'll talk about on other podcasts that are going to dramatically, you know, raise taxation on people potentially because of underfunding of pensions and social security systems and welfare benefits and all those things. And this is not meant to be political. It's just simply a fact. Okay. The pressure for services is going up. The, the only way to pay for it is in the form of taxation. So if you're thinking about selling something and generating capital gains, might be a great time to take those capital gains and reposition. Now, in real estate, there are things such as 1031 exchanges. There are also very unique things right now in the tax law that are you know, considered opportunity zones where there's significant tax law that you can that allows you to take gains from pretty much any asset and reinvest back into these opportunity zones and that gain that you're deferring into the opportunity zone you get to defer to 2026 you can reduce the amount that's subject to gains by about 15% and that you have to pay tax in 2026 at whatever the prevailing rate is at that moment but then the the investment in the opportunity zone beyond 10 years could be taxed, you know, that is going to be tax free and all the gains on that 
big deep dive like that's like that's a whole separate conversation but i just want to point out that these things exist and that it's a unique environment right now as far as capital gains and taking capital gains and exchanging and doing different things now in my plan capital gains are something that happen frequently in most plants depending upon you know what you're doing in as far as an investor and when you think about how do i a buy and hold strategy in stocks i bought a stock for ten dollars and i hold it for 20 years and i've never sold it the dividend income qualified ordinary dividend is taxed along the way but that appreciation is not right so when you look at different types of portfolios you're going to see different types of strategies there are investors and funds and people that are very active and there's a high turnover rate in their portfolios which means they don't hold stocks and securities for a long time they're actively trading and they're generating taxable income at a significant rate and some of that could be short-term be taxed at ordinary rate versus long-term depending upon their holding patterns so when you start thinking about bringing this source of income into your plan how you acquire those assets and how they're taxed currently in the strategy could have a dramatic impact on your net after-tax rate of return your tax equivalent yield i mean you could look at this past year and say hey the market's up x percentage and you know we didn't pay any tax because we bought and hold securities or we indexed versus maybe I'm up the same in a, in a fund that had a lot of turnover ratio and I pay a lot of taxation as a result of it. My after-tax yield is less than the other strategy. Now, there's a pro and a con to that conversation also, but my point is when I hit retirement, one of the strategies that may make sense is to realize gains in the portfolio in addition to the dividends that I may be receiving or interest income from those other assets. Because of that, there's a tax swap and I'm basically paying 20% tax at the highest bracket or 15% versus money that's coming out of my qualified retirement plans. Let's say that I own stocks in my qualified retirement plans. I give up the capital gain treatment and I have to pay ordinary income tax on those assets. And I also give up the opportunity for tax losses in the qualified plan. So this blend of how I have my assets allocated in my plan, not at the asset class level, but the qualified versus non-qualified is going to dictate, you know, a lot of things about my tax return, but having the ability to take capital gains or there's a thing called capital losses. So if I own two stocks and I have a gain on one stock for 20,000 and I have a loss on the other stock for 5,000 and I sell both of them, there's, I'm not going to pay tax on the full amount of the 20. It's going to be offset by that loss. I only pay tax on 15. That is powerful. Now, if I my capital losses exceed my realized capital losses exceed my realized gains, 
that I can reduce my ordinary income by about $3,000. So if I put this in real terms, if I sold stocks at $100,000 tax loss and didn't have any other gains to offset, I would get to use 3,000 of that, but now I would carry forward the additional 97,000 that I could use in the future. So when you're thinking about strategy and tax strategy, sometimes it makes great sense to bank losses in a tax year to be used in the future to offset you know, future gains. Now, what's interesting is if I bank tax losses in the current tax bracket, in previous tax laws, whatever the capital gain rate was in the future, and you had those bank losses, you're using those losses to offset the gains, which could be at a higher rate. So strategy becomes super important in the accumulation phase, but it also becomes a very potentially lower tax to generate capital gain income as opposed to you know, selling small portions of your assets. Let's just use an example of stocks for a second. I'm, you know, I own stocks. I'm getting the dividends, which are, you know, one, two, three percent. Not that exciting on a million dollars. I need more income. Well, let's sell a little bit of stock and pay capital gain rate to generate that additional income. That could be very powerful. There's a whole conversation about withdrawal rates, but if you have multiple sources of retirement income you're blending these things together so that the distribution rates are sustainable so that, and when there's financial pressure, meaning market volatility, increased taxes, you have ways to get around that and still maintain income without the fear of running out of money. So I think what's really interesting is the capital gain structure could be very, very beneficial to the individual depending upon how they are in the future and where capital capital gain rates go, but currently these are very low. This is why I say to everybody is that you have to be very careful in the environment that you do your initial planning. Right now, capital gain rates are low. If I defer in you know buy and hold strategy and 20 years from now, capital gain rates are back up to 50%, I would have been, you know, I now have more financial pressure to get out of it. So now I need to be more creative and use one of the other, maybe use one of the other income sources on this, the the concept of a charitable remainder trust. So there are things that we don't know where we're going, but I don't want to say, oh, this look at the capital gain rate, I should have all my money here because the rates are the lowest they've ever been, but I'm not benefiting from it now. I'm benefiting it 20 years from now, and I have no clue what those tax rates are going to be. I really don't. I would, if I was betting, I would say that they'll be higher, but who knows? We don't know that, right? So in these 19 sources of retirement income, having a the ability to take capital gains depending on my tax bracket if my tax bracket is below you know if i have income below eighty thousand dollars i can get you know married finally joined i can get capital gain income tax-free that's extremely powerful as compared to taking out of my qualified plan and paying you know 
on that same 80,000 of income in a married filing joint strategy, I'm paying 22%. So there's a, that's a huge, huge, huge difference, right? Anything below 80,000 is from 19 to 80,000 is 12%. At 80,000 is 22%. And from 80 to 170, it's 22. And then over that's 24. So it's an interesting, like you have to understand the impact of your plan and that in the planning process, when we create a wealth curve blueprint for the individual, what we're trying to get a handle on is what, you know, you have your earned income and then you have your accumulated money. And I call that the assets. What kind of income are the assets producing and what can I do through strategy to benefit from the 19 sources of retirement income and reduce the current tax liability, but not postpone and defer, take advantage of those options. It comes down to strategy. So again, we offer a free, no obligation, wealth curve pressure identifier conversation. It's a 30 minute call with an advisor to discuss your plan, where your financial pressure is, and if we might be of benefit or help to you, and it gives you an opportunity to really talk to us without an obligation and understand if you like the conversation. You can call the office at 800-797-1000 and set up a meeting. You can go online and you can read more about it. You can request our five ways book. You can request this 19 sources of retirement income guide. We're here to help and we look forward to working with you in the future. Welcome to the end of the video. Smallwood Wealth Management is an investment advisor representative. The opinions expressed by Smallwood Wealth Management and guests on this show are their own. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice, information presented for this educational purposes only. Moreover, no listener should assume that any discussions or information presented serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized advice from Smallwood Wealth Management or from any other investment professional and is not intended as an offer of solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Smallwood Wealth Management is not a law firm or an accounting firm, and no portion of this presentation should be interpreted as legal, accounting, or tax advice. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as a recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax legal or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Thank you for listening.